we are not raising children for a world that existed when we were young because that world no longer exists. So we do have to alter and change our parenting to accommodate for that. You're listening to the 400th episode of the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so thrilled you're here. Today, I'm having a roundtable slash party with three of my favorite guests talking about parenting wisdom. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. I can't believe that I am welcoming you to the 400th episode of the Mindful Mama podcast. My God, when I started this podcast so many years ago, wanting to have the conversations I wasn't hearing, I would have never, ever, ever, ever in my million years imagined we would have done 400 episodes. Holy schmoly! Well, listen, if you have gotten some value from any of these 400 episodes, please do me a favor, wish us a happy birthday and go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and it just helps the podcast grow more. And it takes just a few seconds, and I hugely, hugely appreciate it. It makes such a big difference. And to celebrate this 400th episode, I have invited on three of my favorite guests from the past to talk about just get into the nitty-gritty with some parenting wisdom. So I'm so thrilled. Today on the podcast, we are bringing back Zeba Hassan, host of the Mommying While Muslim podcast, as well as parent coach who's trained in positive discipline, spiritual mediation, and adolescent brain cognition. Bethany Saltman, author, editor, and researcher, and her work can be seen in the New Yorker, New York Magazine, Atlantic Monthly, Parents, and She is the author of the great book that I recommend so often, Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey into the Science of Attachment, and as well as Dr. Lynetta Willis, and she is a psychologist, family empowerment coach, and she helps frustrated families break free from stable misery and create more joy in their parenting and partnerships. And Zabo joined me on episode number 361. Bethany joined me on episode 337. And Lynetta joined me on episode 366 if you want to hear more about these amazing people. And so we are going to be talking about how parenting has changed in the last 20 years. What should we parents be focusing on? What do you wish you knew as a young mother? And so, so much more. Yay! It's the 400th episode. I'm so thrilled. I'm so glad you are here. This is such an awesome episode. You're going to love it. So let's just dive right in. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. 
This only happens for a limited time and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. This is such a great treat for me to have you all here. As you know, you were some of my favorite people on the podcast. And so this is the 400th episode. Oh, my God. And I want to like get philosophical a little bit with you. And I was thinking about like, how has parenting changed in the last 20 years? And is it going in the right direction? And maybe I'll start with you, Zeba, because I know you had some thoughts about that. Well, well, part of my specialty is um, breaking intergenerational trauma, right? Like, so that is my big focus. Um, and I, I love doing what I do because parenting has changed. Um, and how has it changed is that we have more knowledge now, right? Like these, these are things that in theory we could read about, but now that are showing up on the M- our MRIs, our, like it's physically changing our brainwaves. Um, we are not raising children for a world that uh, existed when we were young because that world no longer exists. So we do have to alter and change our parenting um, to accommodate for that. Um, I was at a recent um, workshop um, that I was leading and there was a, a young um, a young dad there with the, with the younger kids who was like, you know, my kid, he just doesn't listen. Back in my day, if I did listen to my dad, you know, he would just have to give me a look. And he said that kind of with pride, right? You hear that a lot, right? And they, and they say it with pride you are a mid-30s man that's still talking about it. Is that something you want to be talking about? And and that's what you want to do for your child? So that's kind of a question that I pose. Is, is that the fact that you as an adult are still being triggered by something like that, a look from your dad, which was probably, let's be honest, um, I was raised with corporal punishment, you know, so there are certain trigger factors that I had to deal with as well. Do we want that for our kid? And are there other ways that we can get them, by the way, not get them to do what we want them to do, but direct them to be ultimately become the people that they're they're meant to be? There are many ways to do that. And when you know better, you do better. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, do you think it's the fear factor, you guys? Like, do you think that, I mean, Lynetta, you also work with like change, changing intergenerational patterns. I mean, are people 
torn about this, like whether they should be using the fear factor or not? Well, because everything is fear based, right? Like, and I'm sure Dr. Willis, but for me, for the intergenerational trauma, fear is the number one thing. And that's ultimately why parents do a lot of the things we're doing, because we are fearful of the outcome. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed, too, is that we tend to when we're stressed and we're overwhelmed, we go back to what we know. Right. We revert back to old habits. So a lot of the parents that I work with in my programs and one on one, what I find is that there, there's there's this pendulum shift experience that they have where they will come out and they'll say, OK, I want to do this differently. I want to switch how, you know, raise my kids differently from how I, I was raised. And what ends up happening is they will listen and should I say interpret a lot of the present day suggestions on parenting. And what they'll interpret that as is, I should just basically be a doormat and I shouldn't say anything or do anything and just I can't have opinions or needs or anything. So I'm just going to be. Well, yeah, that works for like an hour. And then all of the sudden the stress builds, the pressure builds, the, you know, nervous system gets activated and then they swing all the way back to what they were doing before just the yelling, and I call it the four horsemen mindset, the pain, the blame, the shame, and the avoidance. <laughs> Those are the four horsemen come out, and then they feel a ton of guilt and frustration and overwhelm. And then the fear that comes up is, oh, dear God, I'm screwing up my kids. Right? And so they just keep going back and forth on this pendulum. And then also the other thing, so there's the habits that they were raised with. And then also there's this sense of, um, this sense of, not only am I going to, will I screw up my kids, but also a fear that, you know, when my kids go off to college, will they want to come home? You know, am I going to have the type of relationship with them where they're going to be excited to come home? I actually had a, a mom who was in my program and uh, she literally sent me a text. She was in my program when her kid, I think, was like a sophomore in high school. And she sent me a text and she said, I'm driving to pick up my son from college because he wants to come home. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so there is a lot of fear and overwhelm and a lack of trust of internal self. Like, I don't know what to do. I can't do this right. I don't know how to get this right. So there's also this lack of self-trust that I can figure this out. And so I think all of those factors come together and throw in social media and all the perfect images of everybody else doing it perfectly, you know, all the Photoshop stuff. And yeah, it does bring forth a lot of fear and anxiety and overwhelm and lack of confidence. Yeah, I guess we like know so much more, right? Like, so we know so much more about psychology, about resilience, about all these different things. But then we weren't taught. These all things aren't native languages to us. So we're kind of like out off in the woods, right? And so we're changing things, but we're like on this unsteady ground because we're, we're changing things. But then another thing I think is like in the last 20 years, things have gotten really a lot more protective. So a lot more safetyism too. That I see as a, a major challenge for kids. I don't know. Bethany, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, it's interesting. I'm, I'm noticing my reactions to what everybody is saying. Um, I, I think that, you know, in terms of the, the question of, you know, the 30-year-old man who is saying, who's remembering, you know, I just needed um, a look from my dad in order to sort of get in line. I would say I'm a 53-year-old woman and I would say I remember the lack of, of attention when I was feeling unmoored and unheld. 
And so, you know, I just had a really interesting conversation with my teenager. We were in Cancun with friends of ours who uh, we brought the kids have grown up to that our 10th time going to this same resort. And no, I won't tell you the name of it. It's we're, it's under lock and key. We're not telling anybody. So no one goes. <laughs> so we were talking about, um, you know, just sort of my daughter loves to, she was 17 and amazing. And she really likes to reflect on how she was raised. And, um, and I was the scary mom. You know, and I wrote about this in my book. Everybody knows it. And so um, she will, you know, she loved to sort of shoot me a little look across the dinner table because she knows, you know, we all know that I was I had a temper and was was trying to manage that. Um, and, you know, I think that I um, I certainly what am I saying? I'm saying that she now talks about feeling held. She's proud of learning how to behave because she sees other kids in the world who are walking all over their parents, who don't know how to sit at a table, who um, are disrespectful, who don't get the positive reinforcement of being in the world as a kid with manners, who was raised with a mom, who could shoot her a look and say, don't you dare say that thing I see in your mind out loud. Because, you know, not that I was going to physically hurt her, but I was very much like really wanting her to have an experience in the world where people responded positively to her. It was really important to me based on all kinds of things in my own history. So I was that person who, with a look, could really get in there. And she's actually pretty happy about it. Now she's only 17 and a half, so there's lots of room for her to reflect and say, oh my God, I was so triggered all the time. And if and when that happens, I'm totally here for that conversation. Um, but I, you know, I think what you're saying, um, Dr. Willis, about going this pendulum, you know, like I, I'm a doormat, I'm um, I'm an abuser, you know, that's where we really want to kind of look at it as, you know, I think the best thing to happen in so-called parenting, which is really humaning, right, is is this idea that we should and that we can take care of our own inner landscape, and that's what's going to really help our children. A hundred percent. And an understanding, um, Dr. Willis said this, permissive parenting and authoritarian parenting are very different, right? Um, and that's kind of how I explain it. You don't have to let your kids walk all over. Like my son is now, he's a, he's almost 20. I have, my oldest is 20. My youngest is 10. So I have, and have two in between. So, and I have that 20 year old who literally will tell me, he's a boy who will tell me everything. Does he, did he go to beach week? No. Was he the only one of his friends that didn't go to beach week? Yes. Did he go to spring break with his friends? No. Um, he came home instead and did it and, and was with his family. So this is not saying you have to be permissive and you have to go along with everything, but this is saying, I can say it in a calm way. He knows that you mean it when you say something. There's a very different thing. When I say no, it's like, yeah, don't ask me. That's not happening, but I can still be loving when you need me to make, he called me the other day. He's like, I need you to make me brown people food and drive it down because I have, I will go give, make you brown people food and bring it down because that's what you need. This is not saying that it's going to be all one thing or the other. And like, to your point, Dr. Willis, finding the tools and techniques so that you can be in the middle is ultimately what we want to give parents so that pendulum swing doesn't happen on a day-to-day -day basis. 
Yeah, the middle path is messy. It's like all we know, right? Like a lot of us know are like, oh, you know, I don't want to like be like my father. I'm not going to be like raging down the hall to spank my child. And I could see, you know, I could see when I was yelling at my daughter and I was scaring her when she was two. You know, I was that I was that person with that temper, too. And like I could see, oh, this is really, really what I don't want. But then I knew I didn't want to swing all the way to permissiveness. You know, like I've I've had conversations with so many experts about parenting. And sometimes, you know, in the realms of conscious parenting, I've heard, you know, the only expectations I have for my kids are, you know, that they're they're not she's not pregnant and she's not on drugs by the time she's 18. And I'm like, well, that's great, but that's a bad expectation. You're setting them up for failure. Okay. <laughs> really? Exactly. Exactly. Like, that is a really low bar. <laughs> <laughs> you clearly don't expect anything out of them. Okay. Just don't be a sociopath and we'll be good. Be good. <laughs> don't be a sociopath. I know. I know. Stay stay off the pole, ladies. That's all I care about. I have much higher expectations. Like like you, Bethany, like I want them to sit at the table with me. I expect them to do chores around the house. I don't I, I expect them to not have their knees up while they're like sitting at the table. <laughs> Boy, that's still one we're working on. But uh and it's hard. Like we we can take all this this fear of like what was and the harms of what was and those harmful patterns or was and then just throw everything out and it, the middle path is a little messier it's not it's not as clear it's not as like cut you know stay tuned for more mindful mama podcast right after this break we are supported by mysteries about true histories affectionately known as math mysteries about true histories It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, or Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. 
This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Um, I just wanted to say one final thing about fear. You know, I think we're too afraid of fear. And I think we're too ashamed of shame. And I think healthy shame and healthy fear are really important. You know, like kids should be a little afraid of their parents if they did something really bad. If they, you know, hurt someone or, uh, you know, made a big mess and didn't clean it up or whatever the thing is. I'm not saying like, you know, shaking and so afraid that they can't move forward. But fear is part of the human repertoire of emotion. And parents need to feel it. Children need to feel it. We need to come together on it. We need to know, you know, when is enough enough and how to attune to what's really going on in ourselves and in our kids. Yeah, I guess it's part of any relationship, right? Like if you make a big mess up in any relationship, you're going to be scared that you have messed up that relationship, right? So that is natural and normal. That's what I was going to say. It depends on fear of what. When my kids go off, you know, if they find themselves in a really hairy situation, I don't want their first thought to be, how can I hide this from my mom? Because that was my first thought. Like, oh, dear God, way over my head. Can't handle this. I need an adult, right, type of moment. But the first thing I'm thinking is, how can I hide this, right? I want my child's first thought to be, I've got to call my mom. I've got to call my dad. And so I don't want them too afraid to call me when they really need me. I do want, I mean, I, I don't spank or any of that stuff. And I can give my kids a look, you know, and it's funny, though, when I give them the look, they're like, oh, you know, it kind of becomes almost this little comical like, oh, all right, we get it, you know, and it's it's this sense of like, that's not okay what you're doing right now. And they have an internal reaction. I don't even think it's always in a fear of what I'm going to do. But it's like this reminder, like, check yourself. And then they're like, oh, yeah, no, okay, I probably don't want to do that. It's like relationship-based, right? Like what you're describing, Lynetta, is like the relationship-based. Like they intrinsically see that. Like if you're upset, like it matters to them because your relationship is strong. Right. That's our job. That's our job. Right. Unless they're dysregulated. I'm going to be real. My kids will, my kids are not perfect, right? Like there are things that they do that if I did when I was their age, <laughs> it would have been game over. I would not be sitting here with you right now. Right. And and for me, the way I look at it and often what I talk to parents about is looking at it through the lens of what lesson are you teaching me right now and what lesson can I teach you? 
right? Or are you telling me that it would be helpful for you to learn in this moment? So it's not so much stop embarrassing me, stop it. You can't talk to me like that. It's, whoa, that was, what was that, right? And then it becomes, what are you teaching me right now? Maybe you're teaching me that electronics two minutes before bed is not a good idea because it's really hard to get you off the electronics. Thank you for that lesson very much. And sometimes I'll say that to my kids. I'll say to them, you are teaching mommy right now. Please make sure it's the lesson that you want me to learn. And that will also get them like, oh, (laughs) because often when I say that, it's something I've allowed or I've permitted. Maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should, you know, think twice about that. So being able to let them know, like, this is I'm learning, too, you know, and my favorite word in the English language is experiment. It's all an experiment try it out. See what happens. You know, when I tell my kids that, they're like, can I do blah, blah, blah? We can experiment with that. I'll be honest with you. My fear is that like with electronics at the end, I'm going to say it's time to get off and you're going to one more minute me about 15 times. That's my concern. No, 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 no. I won't do it. And then one more minute. Remember what we talked about 30 minutes ago? Oh yeah. Right. And so it's one of those things where again, it's that relationship. It's me reflecting back to you, you reflecting back to me. And it's not me shutting you up, shutting, stop crying before I give you something to cry about. Get up to your room. You can't talk to me that way. Talk to me that way. That gives me really good information that then I can use to make a choice about, is there a boundary that needs to be set or held? Is there a lesson that needs to be learned? Is there a conversation that needs to be had? Right? So, I mean... For me, it's it's definitely the, that situation where I've, I've sort of switched my thinking away from like, I need you to do this and you need to be this way. And more like, as we do these things and as these things happen, what am I learning? What are you learning? What are we teaching each other? And where do we want to go from here? So I'm kind of hearing from this, like we, we are at like we are in an authoritarian place and we are moving away from that, like culturally. And as we move away from that, we don't want to just go to the extreme. We want to have those boundaries, want to hold those boundaries, but hold them more skillfully than, you know, with a little more emphasis, with more emphasis on relationship and our needs and our kids' needs than we had in the past. So I I love this. There's a lot, a lot there. So I'm I'm curious about, there are a lot of things nowadays that parents are worried about. And I know there are some things that parents worry about a lot that maybe we shouldn't be so worried about when we should actually be focusing on something else. Any ideas on like, what are these things that we are a little too worried about that we could just chill out about a little bit more? I mean, I guess for me, it goes back to that idea of safetyism, like this idea that we have somehow gotten so maybe it was the the faces on the milk cartons in the 80s, like, or whatever it was, but like we, yeah, uh, yeah. or our own experiences. I've, I've been in multiple situations where I've had people lock me in a bathroom. Like, I, I mean, granted, I grew up in the in, inner city of Chicago, so perhaps my experiences are a little bit different than other people, but I had those experiences being in a very um, urban setting that now in my suburban world, my children are like, why are you so hyper vigilant, right? Because I've had those experiences and maybe a lot, because by the way, we weren't, um, I'm probably like, I'm going to be 44 in May. So like I, I, my parent, I was a latchkey kid at five because we weren't necessarily as supervised. Um, we were totally the opposite, right? Where my mom didn't know what we were doing, who we were doing with, with and any, as long as I didn't bother her and their life, they didn't really care. So then you do have that 
response or that reactionary that I'm going to be super vigilant. Like, I have to admit that when my son went to college, the first thing he said to me is, I want to go off of Life360. I'm paying for my own phone now, which is what part of that was our thing. He's like, uh, I said, if you want to be off of Life360, you're paying for your phone. I He's like, I will do that. It was the hardest decision that I had to make. And you know why he wanted me to be off of it? He said, because you are going to be so stressed out about what I'm doing, where I'm going, because I know you're going to be watching. And taking it off the table means you will be relaxed. I will text you or call you every single day, which he has. And that's what I did because I went the opposite where I had to know where they were, what they were doing because of those experiences. So I do agree that that pendulum, that, but that safety thing is, I think, a product of some of our, the, the parents that are, are parenting that we didn't have any, we didn't have anybody looking out for us or wondering where we were. So now we're like, oh, all these things could happen and the access to information. Well, also, we were actively shamed like we parents were actively shamed for not knowing where their kids were. Right. If somebody gets kidnapped. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your kids are? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. <laughs> there there were ads for that, right? Exactly. Wasn't it? I was like, it's 10 o'clock. Where is he? Where are they? Wait, your parents were shamed? Like, how was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I don't think it affected my my own parents personally, but my kid, my daughter, when she was 11, she went on, you know, she had a friend over at the pool with her that was 10 years old. And I was like, OK, you know, we live like, I don't know, we live like a quarter, just like a five blocks about from our pool. And so I'm like, OK, I'm going to go head home now with the car. I'll see you guys later. You walk home. And her friend told her, oh, this is the first time I've ever walked anywhere without an adult. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, she's 10 years old. She's never walked anywhere at all without an adult. And it was just shocking to me as like one of those kids who was like latchkey all around, all around town kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I remember I had a key. It was literally the key around my neck and I would get home and I would let myself in, you know. I I think for me, too, there's another element because I am that mom a bit. And and I I mean, I grew up in relatively safe environments. Um And I do think it does have to do with the information piece. Being a black woman in America with a black son and a black daughter and my my son, he's 14, you know, and he's taller. He's like six feet tall. Right. And we know that research says that children look older. Right. Black children, children of color in general, but especially black children are often perceived older than they are. So you have an eight year old who's acting like an eight year old, but they're assumed to be 12 or 13. And so they're treated very differently. And so there's a part of me that is absolutely very protective of my child when I see things like George Floyd or I see things like, you know, all of these things where I'm just like, I'm that mom. Like I had that inner mama bear, you know, or I'm always very aware of where are my kids and, What's happening and what are they what did that person say to you? You know, and so for me, it's definitely something that I've thought a lot about personally, because I would like, especially in the summer, we would be out of the house after the cartoons went off, you know, because there was a time. Remember back in the day, cartoons actually went off, right? Like cartoons actually went off and you just had to be home before the streetlight came on. They did. Somebody fed us. <laughs> I'm guessing at some maybe we drank out of a hose somewhere. Right. Like now that idea is comical for me with my kids. I'm like, really? That's going to be really interesting. But it's such a shame, though. It's such a shame. I mean, I totally understand all of that, but it's such a shame because then the kids go outside and there's no other kids. 
Like the kids whose parents are like, go outside, go play. There's no other kids. They're all inside because inside is so much more interesting. And parents are really worried about things like abduction, which, you know, you would have to sit your kid out on the street for like something like 2000 years to be able to like literally like that's the stat from Lenore Skinner. Like it's like 2000 years you would have to stand out on a street corner in order to be abducted. Like and statistically, it's gone down. Right. Like that's what people don't realize. Yeah. But but you'd be surprised because we are that family. Like my my two younger boys go play outside. They're the only ones that play outside when they were younger, even though I would be watching them periodically. I had a neighbor. This is not a joke. Come to my house and tell me that I should be outside watching my children. Wow. Okay, I don't sit out and watch them when they're outside. That's just at the time they were six and eight. Okay. Wow. You know, they're and they're playing, you know, and they're they're very watchful. They know not to go in the street. They had two older siblings, so they're, you know, they're a little bit more savvy. But that's the other thing. You have a lot of these, I guess, what my son would call a Karen, um, you know, that's sorry to all the Karens out there. And literally came to me in my house. Why are your children out here by themselves? They're six and eight. They're playing together. They know our boundaries. So I use I had to start sitting on the porch with them when they were outside. Really? Wow. Just because it just wasn't worth, you know, it was one of those things where it's like I just would take my computer. It was the same shame factor. You're like, gosh, and I would take my computer and I would do my work outside and, you know, and, and it is what it is. But there is that piece, too. And I think to your point, it's the access to information. We now know of kids being kidnapped in Australia that we probably didn't know before, right? Actually, I didn't know that. Thank you for putting that in my head. Appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. But you see, like, or, or like right now, unfortunately, with all the gun violence, all of these types of things, like that's a legitimate, you know, we're not trying to make this a political thing, but that's a legitimate thing that people are, that fear factor that it, that's increased by social media, the in, like having a computer in the pocket of our, 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 our pants, you know, like having that access to information also increase it. Even parents like ourselves that are relatively informed and educated, we are heightened in certain things and a lo- we can become a little bit stressed out. Granted, we have the tools to help walk us down those lines a little bit, but that's not the normal everyday parent. So, of course, they're afraid, you know, when that's what's being thrown at them every single day. I never thought of this before, but it's so funny because now we like you hear play date all the time, right? And it's sort of like, that wasn't a thing. You just went over to Jenny like, hey, can Jenny come out and play? Right. There's no date. <laughs> now it's like there's always a play day. Let's have a play, which which denotes some sort of has to be scheduled and it has to be from this time to this time. And, you know, because mom's got to come pick you up. So it's a really interesting thought. Like, where did those come from? <laughs> well, I was going to say that one of the things that I think that um, we are really worrying about that we maybe shouldn't be worrying about in this way is um, all this fear about our teenage girls. Yes. Um, there is a lot of anxiety about girls' anxiety. <laughs> and um, as someone who used to be a teenage girl and who is now raising a teenage girl, I, I think, you know, I can only speak from my own experience plus everything I've you know, read and learned and all of the teenage girls that I know of Azalea's friends and 
um, you know, what's out in the world. Um, but I really, my sense of the way that we understand feelings is just that we are, we are so overwrought and, and yes, there's a lot of danger and I think it comes through patriarchy, which I don't think we worry enough about. Yes. Um, and I don't think we worry enough about pornography. Yes. I don't think we worry enough about um, eating disorders, about diet culture. Um, and I don't think we worry enough about phones in children's pockets. Yes. Children. I don't think we worry enough about screens in children's faces. Child, well, specifically children, like babies, toddlers, adolescents. It hurts my heart. It hurts me so much uh-huh. to see. And that's another thing that Azalea really, you know, balked against when she was young. And now she looks at kids in restaurants on screens and she's like, Mom, oh my God, that poor kid, that poor family. They can't talk to each other. So, but I, so there are all these things that we just sort of, uh, you know, because there's so much pressure to let it happen. The phones, the dieting, the, you know, Instagram when you're freaking seven years old, whatever. Yeah. Heck to the no. Oh, my gosh. I'm not even on Instagram. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. But but I think what we worry, what we are worrying too much about is girls um, ability to have big feelings and deal with their stuff because girls are powerful human beings when given the chance. And I think we're giving the wrong message. It's like we're, we're kind of, and I'm making, I'm, I'm figuring this out as I'm saying it, but there's something about the tools versus the attitudes. It's like we're giving the, the wrong attitudes and the wrong tools. Um, and something needs to change in there. Like we're, we need to empower girls, maybe, um, you know, don't raise them on this, this steady diet of harmful tools empower them, help them feel them like themselves, help them feel like they can handle what's happening in their lives and in their relationships. You know, again, back to relationships. Um, relationships are complicated and they can do it. And, and, and I think we also don't worry enough about medicating children and worrying about every problem that comes along and, and medicating it instead of, you know, having the wherewithal in ourselves to really handle what are the feelings? How can I do this? What can, what do you need? What do I, as your parent? Yeah, we're like, we're worried about the feelings, right? We're worried about our anxiety. We're worried about our kids' anxiety. Like if God forbid, you know, it used to be like, just don't have any feelings at all. Go to, go, don't cry, go to your room, right? Like that was the the sense before. Like, and now we're, we're kind of switched to like, yeah, feelings are okay, but it's still that that whole idea that feelings are not okay or are kind of still pervasive. But now the feeling that ki- feelings are not okay is this idea that oh, if our kids have some anxiety or worry or things like that, like that's not okay. It's something that we have to fix. Like we're not allowed to have that full range of emotion either for ourselves or for our kids. I mean, yeah, I think that there's there's obviously a line here, right? Where like they're you know, but but I think you're right. Like, it's like a, it's gone to an extreme. I, I could really see that. Uh, Liniana, what were you going to say to that? You know, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with someone recently where it's it's really, I think, a product of projection. Right. It's hard for us to tolerate in someone else the very things we can't tolerate within ourselves. Right. And a lot of what I teach, I would say most of what I teach. 
is around awareness and acceptance of our own feelings and our own bodies. And I just did a recording today about that, you know, and around how easy it is, even for me, when I get super stressed, I shut off. I can shut off my emotions and body sensations like that. I walked on a broken foot for an entire week. Didn't even realize it was broken. Entire week. You want to talk about that is some like Olympic sized level stuff right there. Not, and I don't even get a medal for it. You know, like, when I really reflect on that, I'm like, who does that? Oh, yeah. Somebody who's really good. I got a PhD in that too. How to shut off my emotions and body sensations. I'm really good at that. You know, so I think a lot of it has to do with we as adults, as parents, creating a relationship with our own feelings and our own body sensations where we can view them and experience them without freaking out. Like we can't even stand in a line at a grocery store and just be. We have to pull out a phone like, oh, I can't going to do something. <laughs> Stillness. Ah! Because we don't know what's going to come up. <laughs> oh, it's like a fear of like, ah, I might think and feel and ah, all right. So when our kids who are magnificent mirrors and teachers, when they come and they're like, I hate you. And we're like, no, not okay. It's because I think when those parts come up within us, we're like, no, not okay. You know, and we reach for the phone or the Netflix or the bottle or the pill or, you know, now I want to say that there are absolutely 100% legitimate reasons for a child, a teen, an adult to be on medication, right? So this isn't like an anti-medication. I don't hear any of you saying that. I just feel like we need to explicitly state that. We're not like bashing medication. It can literally save lives, right? And being able to just be with the discomfort, you know, is something, is a gift that we can give ourselves and then by giving it to ourselves, we'll by extension teach our children how to do it because they're fine. Like if you watch a toddler, they're totally fine with their feelings and body sensations. They don't give a flying flip. But then as they stay in our presence long enough, eventually they will give a flying flip. Right. So being able to teach them how to moderate and modulate those feelings in a way that's appropriate and will allow them to keep their friends and be invited back for playdates. Um <laughs> without completely dousing them and squishing it and, you know, making it a completely unacceptable thing. I think it's the challenge. That's the middle path again. Yes. That, by the way, like Hunter says, requires a lot of work, right? That's that's ultimately, it, it requires a lot more work than I think uh, parents have time for. Well, it's easier to distract. I mean, it's easier to and it's more comfortable distraction. We're told to do that. And it, and we don't want, you know, it's like just we want to just avoid all those things. And so the thing about like what what Bethany is saying, what Lynette is saying, like this, I, this idea that we need to model just tolerating the discomforts and, and being bored and stand in the line without the phone and things like that is that it takes some like effort in the front end. It takes some effort and intention to understand like what is it doing? And, and I think part of this conversation is to just show that like these are the ripple effects of us taking those shortcuts and just opting for comfort every single time is like the ripple effects are like is that it really is affecting our children in a way that we should we should be aware of you know that we may be raising a generation that's like afraid of of feeling anything you know and and having those difficult feelings and that's you know that's what life requires of us if we're not going to be just plugged into the matrix the whole time yeah it's what ultimately builds resilience, right? And that's that's the key to 
to having, I, I don't necessarily believe in happiness or, or trying to find happiness, but in building contentment in your everyday, that concept of resilience. Like you can go through something difficult and it wasn't easy, but you survived and you made it. And then that's the lesson, like Dr. Will is saying, that's the lesson you learn for the next time, right? If you take away that your child's ability to, to develop a skill and a skill set that is needed for long-term um, success, that you're crippling them for life. And that's, and, and I'm not just saying that lightly, it's truly, if you're, you're taking away skill sets that they need in order to be sane, logical, um, content human uh, adults, what, what is that going to say for our society and the future? So that's something we really need to um, pay attention to. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. And I think it shows up in like little moments, right? Like it shows up in little moments that we don't pay attention to. For instance, like, you know, my daughter, she's she likes going on a run. She's been doing that. And, you know, sometimes, though, she gets involved in YouTube or whatever. And what I'll say to her, I'll try to like give her that perspective, right? Which is one of those things that we can do as parents is like, well, you know, later when you're older, are you going to regret like either like not going on that run or, you know, watching that show with mom and dad or or whatever the thing was that was a little more uncomfortable than staying plugged into the YouTube, you know what I mean? Or are you going to say, man, it was so great for me to have like watched those like seven YouTube shows, you know, like, I mean, like it just kind of to give us that perspective of like, is that, you know, to go into the storytelling mind versus the experiential mind, like it's like, will that ultimately when we tell the story of our lives and what we experience in our lives, 
And for us to, as parents, we can give our kids that perspective as long as like we have it ourselves. So we got to practice it ourselves. Well, you know, Hunter, I don't know. I could see people on their deathbed going, man, I wish I had just watched more twerking TikTok videos. Those twerking TikTok videos gave me life, man. I just, dang it. <laughs> it's the cat video. The cat videos make me happy. Okay. The cat videos. <laughs> But I have to set a timer for those cat videos because otherwise I'm like 10 minutes, I'll watch this, then I'll get up and do something else. But again, we're not saying we're anti, no one's saying be an extreme, right? No one's saying throw out the phones, no one's saying this, go off the grid, though, you know, I do fantasize about that sometimes. But what we are saying is that middle ground is something that can be achieved, but it will require um, internal introspection as parents so that we can model that behavior for us. So uh, in the in the end of the day, for me, it's about the parent. It's coaching the parent so that they can then model for their children. Yeah. And I, I wanted to just add to that, um, you know, when Azalea was young, I, I really, well, put it this way. The first thing I ever wrote was in high school about how much I hated TV. Do you have the book 10 Arguments for the Elimination of Television? I don't, but but yes, it says, but I've changed a lot. Okay. So now things things have changed. My point is that I grew up that I you know I was raised, I raised myself really that way. Um, I never had a TV. I was totally not into any of that stuff. And then um I Azalea came along and, you know, very, very little bit of, you know, media here and there. Then when she got older. She became really into TV and, and, and then became obsessive about shows like Friends, like hardcore. And then and now she watches and watches and watches. And it was so annoying to me when, I, when she was younger and so difficult, so challenging. And I felt like, oh, my God, I have failed this child. Now she's getting ready to apply for film school. So this is a not just a you know a random thing but like the girl is into it she was studying exactly (laughs) exactly we're changing we're flipping the narrative she wasn't watching tv she was studying for her future career and well so you know i i've been and i have i've become quite interested in all kinds of screens myself but it's just it's just a really interesting thing that i remind myself of you never know. You never know. Yeah, you, you, we don't have all the answers. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next question, which is, what do you wish you knew as a young mother? So I do have to say, I'll start off just because I had the benefit and the hindsight of having two sets of children. And I say that because I was in my early 20s. I had my first at 24, my second at 26. I thought I was done. And my husband, as I was approaching 30, was like, are you sure you're done? And then I had my second set of kids um, at 31 and 32, um, 31 and 33, actually. So I have had the life experience to be like, okay, with my second set or like my oldest set, I'm the beta model and my younger brothers are the alphas because you figured it out. I had a lot more energy physically when I was younger with my older two. But what I recognize now in looking back with my younger set and I'm enjoying that it goes by so fast. And, you know, when people tell you that when you're in the throes of breastfeeding, it's like you want to beat them. So trust me, I understand that. But I, in a blink of an eye, it is gone. So that's how I look at everything. Is it worth 
the, you know, stress about he didn't make this AAU team and this dad is talking in, but or is it I get to be there? I'm I'm with them. And and honestly, it's not about the dishes or the laundry or, you know, we read those memes and you're like, yes, that's right. It's really is about are those five minutes that you focus and you're with your kids, do they mean something? It doesn't have to be a hundred minutes in a day. Is it five? Am I there? Am I focused? Because it does go by quickly. And so enjoy, enjoy every moment. That's for me. Like I'll cry now just thinking about it. The good, the bad, the ugly, because you get to experience people that you physically created turning into their own autonomous human beings what a freaking amazing thing that we get to do. And I'm going to cry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop and let you guys finish up. Can you tell that I love, I just love it. Like they're their own people, their own opinions. Like, even if I don't agree, you're watching that and you're like, wow, I had a small piece in watching this person become an adult. And that's such an amazing thing. So enjoy every moment because when you're in it, you don't want to. But it goes by so fast. And so just enjoy it. And now all the breastfeeding moms who have no sleep want to hit you. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, trust me, I've breastfed for. Oh, my God. No, I'm telling you, I've breastfed all of my kids for two and a half years each. Okay. Oh, you just got your boobs back, man. Like. (laughs) Oh, oh, and they're deflated and hanging down to my waist. But I I wear these boobs with pride because I'm like, I fed people, human beings with this. It's an amazing thing. So trust me, I've been there and I get it and it does go by quickly. I think for me, you know, it's <laughs> it's OK to have favorite periods. You know, like some people are like, oh, it's just, you know, they're going to be, it's going to be this magical thing. Their whole, you know what? Like there were periods where I was just like, what the heck? I didn't like it. You know, and now like my son is 14, I think. Now I enjoyed every period. Like I was able to find joy in every period. But if I had to rank, I could rank. Okay. And so realizing if there are certain periods where you're like, this isn't my favorite, that's okay. And I know you got that friend who's like, I have I have this one friend who I swear she comes up with these like amazing things to do with her kids and they create and they're always going out and finding magical experiences. And I'm like, I wish I could have done that when I when my kids were her kid, they're very, very young. Um, but that just wasn't my gift or my magic, you know, but now they're like, my son's a teenager. My daughter, I guess, is in the tween stage. I love this age. They're able to do things on their own. They're funny. They have senses of humor. They get, um, I mean, it's, it's like, this is so cool. Like teenagers are freaking awesome. And I know people are probably throwing things at the screen right now, but you know, it's, they are. So it's okay to have periods where you're like, not my favorite that and not don't let yourself feel guilt or shame or anything it's all right it's all right find joy you don't have to enjoy the period but those are the areas where you just consciously seek and create joy so that you have lasting memories to reflect back on yeah i love that and i love teenagers too love 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 teenagers and certainly like some stages more than others um and i would say the thing um that I kind of wish I knew and now I really know is that it's never too late. People ask me this all the time. 
And it's never, ever, ever too late. And poor mommies are like, babies think it's too late sometimes. I'm like, honey, oh no, you've only just begun. And there is so much room inside the human heart to grow and forgive and change and forget and transform and, you know, forwards, backwards, up and down. Um, it is never, ever, ever too late. And, um, and that it really matters what we do on the end. I agree with all that. I mean, if I think about like what I wish I knew as a young mother, I, I honestly like wouldn't take away all my struggles because that's like what has helped me like create this whole podcast and all the different things and mindful parenting and the things that I do. It would be so boring. I'd be like, I'm amazing. And your book would be really boring. <laughs> 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 oh my god <laughs> but i think um telling it like it is <laughs> so without taking away my struggles in that way i think what i would if i could go back what i wish i knew as a young mother is like i mean if i could go back and do anything maybe i would um i, I well there's a couple of things i would do i i would now know not to try to implement mindfulness practices when my kids are in a bad place like not don't do that like that that just like destroyed them for ever like that didn't work um and, and also um and also i think i'd be more intentional about creating community that's within like walking distance to my house i we have some community that's within walking distance to our house but like a lot of people even though i actually live in kind of a intentional community that was found in 1901 as an artist retreat and so i i can go on a walk and i can see four people i know and talk to them and say hi which is very unusual i know in the united states but I would be more intentional about seeking out families with kids of the same age and saying, do you want to come over here? And regardless of how messy my house was and, and things like that, and just making those awkward steps to make more lasting, solid connections with regardless of, you know, like the people that are within walking distance to my house. I, you know, I, I wish I, my kids had that sense of like when I was a kid, I could go leave the house and go to someone's house. And I can be like, hi, I'm here. You know, they don't have that. Anyway, so that's like one thing I wish I could have done. Those are just sort of like my two, if I could rewind, that's where I would go. So I would just love to offer. I love this conversation. I wish I could do for hours. Any last words for the listener who is like struggling to kind of like raise, you know, good humans and stay steady and grounded? What would you say to that listener? Bethany, you go ahead. Oh, my gosh. Um, what would I say? I would say um, you've got everything you need. And um, the more you can relax into all the feelings, the more you will have access to exactly what your kids need. And it's not anything outside of you. Um, don't, don't feel like you have to do anything or buy anything or be anything other than exactly who you are, which is that child's parent which is that child's king or queen. And um, that's the beginning of the end. The whole thing. Well, I could say, I could say this because this is something that I, I think about all the time. There's two things. One, self-care is not selfish. And we need to change that um, within our community. Anthropologically speaking, we were supposed to be raising these children as part of communities. And we have lost that. 
Um, so as a result, you know, all of that burden, that mental load, like that mom burnout is extremely real. So being able to take care of yourself, whether it's, you know, I I say I'm going to work out and my kids know, do not bother me. And they have a huge thing. Even if they wake up before seven, do not come downstairs before seven. I'm not ready for you yet. And they know that. And they, you know, granted when they're teens, you don't have to worry about it. They sleep till one o'clock in the afternoon anyway. But, you know, having those boundaries as a mom is actually okay. And the last thing that I would say is you are the, the most imperfect, perfect parent for your child. And that's okay. Like there are going to be days you're going to be like Mary Poppins, amazing, awesome. And there are going to be days where you're like, I want to be, I'm just coming off of a hospital, you know, week in the hospital, unfortunately. And I was just like, you know, mama's the house of the mess. I'm wearing pajama bottoms from the, the waist down. Not going to lie. I um, thank God for lipstick. And uh, right after this, I'm going to go take a nap. And I've already, my kids know that. Like, this is something that I have to do. But this is all, everybody has those times. And saying that it's okay to not be your perfect self all the time, I feel like also helps your children in the long term, in the long run. I would say, I say parents all the time, the fact that you're asking the question means that you're probably doing the work, right? Like, sociopaths don't say, how can I be a good person, right? Like, it's it's just not something they think about. It's just not something. But the fact that you were even saying, like, how do I do this, right, is already tells me you're on the path, right? And you're probably doing better than you think, honestly. Um, so giving yourself grace and a lot of self-compassion. We do not do that enough. The other thing, kind of piggybacking on what Zeba said, um, the mantra in the pairing program I have is my needs matter. That's one of the mantras. And it's fascinating to me, like the deer in the headlights look that I get when I say that to pair. Like what my mom actually said to me, my needs. Pretty sure I had to turn those in in order to be able to leave the hospital with my baby. And realizing even back to the pendulum swing, you know, this idea that, yeah, if your child is doing something that makes you feel, then you and you're like, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't like. It's okay to say I don't like it when you touch me that way. I don't do that. That's okay. It's not you being bad or mean or to say. No. It's teaching them that they can do that too. You know. So recognizing and remembering that your needs matter. Okay. And then the third thing I would say, and I alluded to this earlier, experiment is my favorite word. Right. So one of the things that I think parents worry about a lot that maybe they shouldn't worry about too much is, will this thing work? Right. And you sit there and you like think about it for like 20 years. Like, will it work? Can I try it? I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Do it and see what happens. I mean, within reason, of course, I'm not saying like beat your kid and see what happens. No, not what I'm saying. But if there is something that you're like, no, you know, throw out a line, learn from it course correct if necessary. Try it again. You know, try something different, but don't be afraid to experiment with things. It's okay. Yeah. I love that. There's so much wisdom here. I knew I invited the three of you on for a reason because I enjoy your perspective and your voice and your wisdom so, so much. It's been such a pleasure. I could do this for three hours with you. I'm so sorry to be only on an hour. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just like, oh, we could talk about this. I mean, uh, honestly, even for me, I'm sure we'll add this out like the Black experience or the Muslim experience. You're like, there's so many amazing things. 
because it is very different in how you parent, you know, um, because of the life experiences that you have. How the world perceives you is also how you you change and alter your parenting. So, like, it's I mean, it's fascinating. Like, it's one of the things that I love, love, love learning about. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I want you to just stay for one sec after I press stop. And um, I thank you for being here for this Celebrate the 400th episode with me. Woo! Yay, Hunter. It was wonderful to meet you all. And I hope to stay in touch. And I love this conversation. Thank you all so much. Yeah, no, you guys too. I love it. Thank you for all you both are doing in the world. It's such important work. What a fun time, wasn't that? I honestly could have talked to these powerful women for hours and hours and hours. People have been asking for an in-person event, and I would love to do it. Wouldn't it be so fun to gather in a room and, and talk to these people? I would love that. Love it, love it, love it. So if you got something out of this episode, if you want to help the Mindful Mama podcast celebrate our 400th episode, help my team, help everybody, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. And it just helps in the algorithm, helps the podcast grow more. And I really, really greatly appreciate it. And really, on behalf of my team, thank you to everybody who has done that. Thank you from my team members, Chelsea and Emma and Lynn and Yvonne and Alex. And we all appreciate you listening to the podcast and being part of this team and sharing it and rating and reviewing and making this, spreading this message wider into the world. It makes such a big difference. If you have things to say about this podcast, if it sparked anything in you, I would love to hear. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Mindful Mama Mentor. Let me know and I will love it. So anyway, can't believe it. 400 episodes. Wow. I'm going to go take a nap now. <laughs> I wish you a nap time today and I hope this has watered your good seeds and helped you be a better parent to your kids, you know, give you perspective as a human into what's most important. I think that's like really, really the goal here. And, and um, I wish you a beautiful week, my friend. Thank you, thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to connect with you again next week. Thank you, my friend. Take care, namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? 
Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside mindfulparentingcourse.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.